0: Brew Retain Podcast.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Gangro Retain. Today, I've got Wayne McCulloch, who is the global head of customer success uh, at Google Cloud, and sounds like you're working on some other things, which would be really fun. And uh, also, uh, Wayne's got the Seven Pillars of Customer Success, which is uh, releasing later in April. But he's really put a proven framework down into a book that helps you drive impactful client outcomes for your company. So. Uh, Wayne, first off, thanks for uh thanks for hopping on today. Excited to to do this.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. Super excited to to have this conversation for sure.
1: All right. So um I always like to ask some, you know, just easy questions, maybe some softballs right over the middle, so to speak. Uh so are you uh are you a football fan in uh you know in the in the true sense of the word?
0: Uh I am not. Uh oh. because football for me is called Australian rules football, AFL. And so that to me is football. So when I'm coming over here and I look at football here, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. So I'm not a true fan. No, I'm not.
1: Well, I was even thinking like a soccer fan, uh, in the way, that, you know, in the, in the true sense of the word, you know, uh, like real to- football. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, if you were, so you mentioned Australian football, is there a team from back in, back in your, you know, years of growing up Is there anybody that you were following and, um, Maybe explain to me the difference. or like, what is, what is Australian football?
0: (laughs) Okay. So Australian rules football is played on a field. That's about 200 yards long and 180 yards wide. It's full contact, no padding, no helmets. You can get attacked from any direction. It never stops moving. So commercials do not happen during the game because it never stops moving. Uh, And it is a extremely fun game to watch. Check it out on YouTube, look up AFL or Australian rules football. Um, and I followed a team called Collingwood, which the equivalent would be—I was going to say Dallas Cowboys. You know, it's the team everyone loves to hate, or you or you love them more than anything. But I don't know if that's now the Patriots. I get confused as to who who hate <laughs> yeah. too but yeah. uh, but Collingwood is the—it's a working-class sort of suburb, blue-collar, uh, and either you love them or you hate them.
1: Oh man, I did. I have to go look this up now. Like I'm super intrigued because uh, it sounds like a little bit of a mix of like rugby. You know, style in terms of notepads and just full contact and a really, you know, really long field. Then it sounds like uh, there might be some American, you know, football uh, similarities in there as well. Maybe I, yeah. I, I, don't, I didn't, yeah, like this is going to be, I'm going to look this up afterwards. So I'm, I'm glad I asked the question and uh, we got there to begin with. Um, yeah. But Wayne, you know, super excited today just because, uh, you know, we've had the chance to connect mm-hmm. a little bit over the last number of months. And, um, you know, I think a lot of our gain, grow, retain audience will probably know, you know, that you've shared a ton of uh, your seven pillar kind of and gain, grow, retain. So uh, maybe just an easy place to start is, you know, why, why write a book? How did you, you know, come to that conclusion? And uh, what, what did you start with?
0: Yeah, well um, first and foremost, let me just say, if I knew how hard it was to write a book, I probably wouldn't have started. This is a three year journey for me, definitely a labor of love. Um, sort of every Friday night from midnight to 2 a.m. for like three years. And Saturday night, I was just putting my thoughts down. But look, the the reason I did the book initially was because I pivoted into customer success after spending nearly two decades in training and education in B2B software companies. And I really love the fact of, you know, helping customers to adopt the technology and get value, which is a natural kind of precursor to moving into the world of customer success. And I see A lot of my peers that I've grown up with, whether they're in education, training, sales, support, consulting, they're all looking at customer success and saying, actually, that's kind of fuels my passion even more than what I'm doing. And so there's a lot of people pivoting in. And one of the challenges I had is that pivot happened while I was at Salesforce. um, And I really started to understand the value of customer success and why it exists. And, you know, I'm at the preeminent cloud company, right? So I'm I'm learning from probably a company has been doing it longer than anyone. And I really, really got into it. Then, you know, throughout my career, I started to, um, for example, became a chief customer officer. And I'm like, oh, customer success. I know how to do this. I came from Salesforce. And so you start to deploy all the things that we did at Salesforce and it didn't work. And I'm like, hang on, it worked at Salesforce. Why doesn't it work here? And then, so as you delve in and you talk to more of your peers and you read, you know, community posts on things like, Um, GGR, and you you start to immerse yourself, you recognize that there isn't a one-size-fits-all. There isn't, you know, what works for a small private company doesn't work for a large public company, and you start to understand there's these nuances in here that make it very difficult for someone who's new to actually know what advice that you're hearing will work. So there is amazing advice out there. What was missing, though, was how do you pull it all together? So I'm like, oh, I'm thinking of playbooks. Well, cool, someone has a cool idea on how to do a playbook. How do I do customer health or someone has a cooler, and you do all these things and you're like, but I'm missing this. I'm missing that. I'm missing this. I keep people keep asking me, what does customer success do? What value do you bring? Like you get these same questions from all different organizations and people. And eventually I'm like, you know what? I need to sit down and work out how to, to put a framework together. That it allows me, no matter what situation I'm in, public or private, small or large, like I can build a really impactful customer success organization that also can take into account the nuances of my situation, the company, the product, the maturity, the marketplace, all of those complexities that you only you kind of understand that you can overlay on the framework to make sure it works for you. And so the book was written originally for me to solve my problem that I couldn't work out how to make this, you know, really efficient and scale and be effective. And then I realized, oh, there's a bunch of other CS leaders in the exact same boat. I want to help them. And then, of course, as you write the book, you're like, well, i got to give examples. And I've used people from this community and others to actually put their thought leadership in the book. So now I'm writing it for CSMs, and then I realized people want to come into the industry. So now I'm like, well, what if you're in sales or what if you're in consulting? And so the book itself expanded to the point where after three years and 344 pages, the publisher's like, you, you just got to get this out. Like You, you can keep <laughs> writing forever. And I, I'm like, I can. But so the book really is um, started off with just helping me and just grew into something much bigger over time.
1: Yeah, the bit, the the thing that resonated so much with me in that, uh, as you described that, is the fact um, you know, Jay and I had our consulting business for the last three years, and the number one thing that I noticed or picked up on over those three years is that one strategy or tactic wouldn't necessarily work plug and play. Right? Uh, you could kind of take it and, and take the concept, but it would have to be adapted as you went. And so, you know, seeing nearly sixty different companies um, like that really helped solidify for me that. At the end of the day, there are like just like you said, I love the way you you put it, right? There is this framework that you're operating within that says, I understand that there are fundamental things that need to happen. We need to retain our customers, we need to help them grow, we need to make sure that they're they're satisfied and that they're earning value, they're they're gathering value from our product, right? Those are kind of the, the high-level things that we all know about customer success. But that framework, like you said, is the mesh underneath that that says, here are how all of these things are basically laddering up into helping us achieve those objectives. And, um, and, but seeing those 60 companies, I can, I can legitimately tell you that uh, looking inside of those companies, you could see how um, you could easily see the, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but you could easily see how like the concept of the idea was very similar from company to company, but the way yep. and how you deployed it was the difference maker, right? You, you took it and you had to adapt it in certain ways. And the, the last point that I loved um, and maybe even to harp on it uh, a little bit more from what you just mentioned as well is that customers are inherently always different like we now are, are uh you know working at higher logic we're building communities on behalf of our customers and one of the things that inherently you're noticing over time as well is that all of their members are different and so it's not a plug and play hey here's how to make your community successful right it's like the same thing it's almost this microcosm of customer success that we have to go like live day to day um and so customers are are so unique in different ways too I, I mean i think that that hits the nail on the head for me
0: exactly I think, you know, the the book itself is broken into two parts and you don't actually get into the seven pillars until like page 120 or something. So you're a long way in the book because, like you said, there is a foundation. There are things we need to do, like we need to understand the customer journey, you know, and and one of the complexities I always hear is like, well, services does this and think they own the implementation and sales thinks they own, you know, the relationship and success thinks they own the business value and and I think you know there was a, a great quote in the book I got from um, an executive at Walt Disney who says, no one owns the customer, someone always owns the moment. And once you start getting that clarity on who owns the moment, you start becoming customer success and where this microcosm, you start to become where a company trying to create a successful outcome. And that's made up of many different groups. And so, Defining the journey and understanding that is just one of the 10 tools I talk about in the first part of the book, which is these are things, these are critical foundational things we need to know and understand in order to then go leverage the framework and be able to scale out repeatable success, um, no matter the situation we're in. And so that, that, that for me was what you said when you're in consulting, like, you're doing the same thing. You're going into 60 companies and you're helping them to create, you know, help them create value for their customers and expand value and create advocates. And and that's what you're doing. But the way you do it is different in a lot of cases because there's so many nuances when you're selling to a customer, I feel like there's a really well-known methodology on how we you know, find and nurture and bring through a funnel, and there's NQLs, and there's metrics and discipline, and, and we all understand that. But when you get to the post-first sale, you're in a very complex, different world that doesn't necessarily... It's not as simplistic and not as formulaic. I'm, I'm not saying it's not easy to solve. It's a complex problem to solve. But there are easy things you can do if you break it up. And I think the book helps to explain some of those nuances that hopefully will accelerate people's ability to drive value in their organization.
1: Yeah, the um, the other thing that that uh, just kind of triggered for me too is when you start thinking about um, you know an example like the customer journey. And I love that quote too, right? Thinking about some of those key moments uh, that are happening over time. Like I think the word customer centric has now become too... Um, cliche or mainstream, right? It's just, uh, it's been butchered so many different times, but I think at, at the heart of it, right, the idea or the concept is to is to really start looking outward in rather than inward out, right? Like inherently what we do when we start working inside of a company is we start looking at things saying, okay, here's a, just like you said, right, here's a, here's a process for implementing a customer and how do we make that as efficient as possible? Um, and that's, normally the mindset you come with, right? How can I make that process as efficient as possible so that we get to our outcome internally as fast as possible, which is to get that customer up and live and provisioned as, as quickly as we can. Right. But yep. being customer centric in the, it's kind of been butchered, but being customer centric, right. Or, or that t- type of mentality is really kind of looking at the other lens and saying, wait a minute, what's the customer seeing? What's the, what are they experiencing when we go through that process? Right. Um, do we communicate in the right way? Are they, do they feel like they're communicated with, do they feel like you know, that we've got um, kind of a, a clear set of expectations and processes in place. And so I think that also like the key moments to me is, is resonates because I think sometimes we forget that the customer is really the winner at the end of the day, right? They're the ones who are, who are judging whether or not this is successful or not. And then- yep we really need to optimize internally for our stakeholders. It's not really for the customer. It's for optimizing for our stakeholders. And like, we need to make sure that those two things are harmonious and that we're doing, you know, those in tandem, but at the same time, like we can't conflate the two and think that they're both trying to achieve the same
0: thing. Yeah. I think, well, there's a couple of points that you mentioned that I think are worth delving a little deeper on because you know, time to value is really a super critical aspect of what customer success can help with, but we don't control that whole process. You know, there's product, there's partners, there's services, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But our job is to get time to value as fast as possible because for the customer, they're paying from day one in a SaaS environment. So every day they're not getting value is a, like waste for them. So, so we have to go tackle that. And I think it's really critical to think when you're thinking of time to value, um, you know, like you said, the internal stakeholders are looking at some different metrics. And so one of the challenges of a success leader is, it's not how do I manage the expectations of this, you know, efficiency engine that I'm being demanded from my company and value that my customers expecting. expecting. It's, it's actually educating the company on getting to this value creates tremendous value for our company. It's not about necessarily the efficiency, it's about the Ability to retain, the ability to expand, and the ability to grow your revenues from doing this piece really, really well. And so, in the in the book, it's funny you mentioned customer um, that sort of overdone a little bit with, yeah, we're customer centric. I literally use that in in the book by saying, I remember I talked to this PS leader and I said, you know, well, do you feel like your organization's customer centric? They're like, absolutely, like we live and die by the success of our customers. And I said, well, cool. How do you, how do you measure? How do you pay your consultants? Well, um, well, we're we're paid on revenue, margin, and utilization. And I'm like, <laughs> which which one of those three are customer centric? And there's kind of like this blank stare, and you're like, so yes, it, it does get used a lot. And again, that customer, that that professional services leader is not a bad person. Like, it's just that that person is being given these operational metrics on what how the company judges success for that group. Revenue, margin, utilization, and there's even NPS. Don't get me started on NPS. There's a whole rant in the book about NPS and how it needs to just go away as a business metric of success. But ultimately, you know, that person is stuck. Like we are in success where there's expectations of what success looks like to our company, which doesn't translate to what the customer needs. And our job is to make sure that what we do for the customer is, is communicated internally as value to our company. And that's one of the bigger challenges in the success world.
1: Yeah, it's, it is, um, I've been on this kick recently talking about kind of storytelling and um, and talking about how as you really start looking at great businesses um, and I think just great leaders and and people that you've kind of respected over time. I think uh, the more and more I kind of look back at that, I feel like they're they're the best storytellers in, in the way that just like you mentioned, right, they're able to translate. What is the customer looking to achieve? How are we helping them achieve that? What is what is the value they're getting? What are all the ways that we're making them successful? And then just like you said, right, we have to translate that into how it's helping our business and operational metrics. And that type of translation takes storytelling. It doesn't take, it doesn't take the best person who knows analytics or knows metrics. It doesn't take the greatest order that's out there, the greatest writer, it takes the person who can understand both of those things very intimately, understand how those things overlap, and then be able to articulate that story to many people so that they'll follow and that they'll understand that they'll come be part of that journey. So I, I love that point that you made, because I, I also think that probably, I don't know, it, it's probably top five on the things that I hear a lot from our, our members kind of the leaders that I've talked to, right, is this really hard challenge of I'm really trying to make my customers successful. But then my, you know, my business over here is telling me that we got to hit this certain net retention number. And like, you know, like, how do I make sure that those two things are happening? And, and so I think it um, it, it's a different, you know, uh, Christy Falteruso that uh, we talked to a lot who's in the community. Uh, she's got her, her new brand, which is um, basically built around that, you know, CS is, is, um, is it CSS CS simple? simple. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, it's simple, right? Cause when you start thinking about those things, it's like, very simple, but it's a complex when you start thinking about the leaders that can kind of hold two truths in their mind at one time and be able to articulate that story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is the value of a framework, right? So if you think of telling a story, story has certain acts, there's three acts. Well, the framework has three parts. The first one is operationalizing customer success. And that's all about my company And I started with that. Like people are like, why don't you start with the customer? And I'm like, because if I can't get that right, I cannot service the customer. So the operationalization of success is super critical. And that's all about my company. But it's to set my company up into a position where I can go execute amazing outcomes for our customers. And so the first pillar is operationalization. And then I talk about these 10 tools that you use to operationalize and then I go into depth in each of those tools and say, this is what it is. This is how it works. This is what end like great looks like at the end. And this is where you can start because you don't have a team of data scientists. You don't have, you know, limit unlimited budgets for CS software. And pla- when you start out, you're kind of scratching and just trying to make it work. And then over time you slowly build credibility and you prove value and, and you get more from the, the financial side. And the book also talks about the difference between, you know, cost of goods sold and um, how you, you know, how do you move that around? How do you move the financial maneuvering to, again, have a good conversation with your CFO that then can go to the board that puts your success group in a, in a good position. But either way, that, that, that three acts is really critical because when you have the three components, you can then start articulating how your organization works in your company across the customer and then how you execute with the CSMs, which is the third act. So for me, Um, storytelling is one of the most underappreciated skills that any executive can have. And in the world of CS, it's even more critical because there isn't as, it's not as well-defined and well-known outside of CS, um, people. And that's where the storytelling becomes really critical. So yeah, I couldn't agree more on that.
1: Yeah. I, um, I was looking over at my desk or at my little bookshelf here, because before we hop off, I'm going to go, I think it's on my nightstand. Actually, I just bought a book. Um, and it's like, it's about a guy who is the, uh, this is going to be kind of funny, but it's like, they have a slam poetry contest in this town somewhere. I forget where it is, but he is like won it 10 times out of 12 or 10 times out of 13. And it's just this storytelling competition. And he wrote a book about how he became so good at storytelling all this stuff. And I, I recently just bought it. So it's on my nightstand. So I'll, I'll make sure to tell you about it. See if it, if it uh, piques your interest, but yeah, check uh, it out. yeah you said something that uh, also piques my interest, which is NPS. Uh, you know, in the rant that we could get you down that, that, you know, about how that's a a bad metric. But the one thing I did want to mention is I think we probably hold a very similar, um, we might hold a similar truth around this, which is, you know, I don't necessarily care about the MPS score itself. Um, I've always looked at it as an engagement method with our customers. And, um, and so how can we use, you know, again, like negative 10, negative 30 plus 10, like to me, it just, I just throw that out the window because I don't necessarily care. I don't think it really has a a, an an appreciative value. But what I do, what I like to look at is who is responding, who's not, Uh, what are we doing with the responses, and then what are we doing with the non-responders, and how do we start to look at those things as a method just to get in front of our customer uh, and have an open and open up the right conversation uh, if it's needed. So I've always tried to look at some of those things like NPS, CSAT. um, Again, like sure, I care about the score, but what I care about more is like, is the customer taking enough time to respond? And if not, then like clearly then we're something is off the rails. We need to be talking to them about something if they can't even take, you know, the five seconds to respond with a zero through 10. Uh, and I would love to find a, a different way to be measuring and and looking at ways that we can uh, look at satisfaction and, uh, you know, how, how often they promote us. I think there's probably going to be better ways that we can do that in the future now that more companies are going SaaS.
0: Yeah, so I worked at a company where the whole company got paid. Part of their bonus was tied to NPS, right? So then everything's geared towards how do we make NPS scores good? Yeah. Well, don't ask that guy, ask that guy. Or don't <laughs> ask that company, ask, you know, and you see the weird stuff. And ultimately, look, NPS is all about, um, you know, people's intent but not behavior. And so I don't really find it valuable. Like I've said a million times, I hate my bank. Every time they mess up, I'm like, I'm going to leave my bank. And you know what, five years later, I'm still at the bank. Because it's just too much of a hassle, right? So I would give them an MPS of two all day long, but I'll bank with them forever. Like it yeah. doesn't, it, it just doesn't matter, right? I think what you're talking about, that engagement is, so in pillar number six, I talk about advocacy and how critical it is in customer success, not just for us, but it's a way that we can show value to sales and others, among other p- pillars too. But in this case, like, If a customer doesn't respond, that's a red flag, right? If a customer gives you a bad score, they could be having a bad day, but you you need to respond and react. If you're going to measure and ask people for their input, you need to be prepared to respond right away. I get a great example in the book when I was traveling through Denver Airport and I use Clear because I travel or used to. I remember those days. So I used to travel like 12 weeks out of 13. And when I was in Denver, I used Clear and it was really bad and I had to wait and I watched other people not in Clear go past. And I'm like, I'm paying for this premium service because I'm always running late to the airport because I'm always traveling, you know. And so I, I gave an NPS score of three and I wrote some comments, right? Within four hours, the person that runs Clear at the Denver airport had written back to me to acknowledge what I wrote, to explain the situation, what had happened, to tell me that they're taking these necessary steps to prevent it from happening again and would welcome any more feedback I like, and would be open to a comment. I'm like, that blew me away. I'm like, that is what, that is why you ask people an NPS score, right? Because you genuinely care. And I see so many times we send it out and we're like, okay, well, this score was minus 10. Well, that's horrible. Let's talk about that in our next all hands, you know, leadership meeting and you're like next week. And then the next, I'm like, how frustrating yeah. is that for someone? So when I talk about advocacy, again, as part of the book, I'm like advocacy is is a journey, and we don't think of it. We're like, oh, we need a testimonial. Where can we get a case study? It's always really reactive, and I talk about advocacy as – I created something called an advocacy maturity map, which says once you've identified stakeholders, influencers and champions and things like that, then here's a journey you can take them on as individuals, as people, these are people we're dealing with, to say, hey, let's nurture them into advocacy. Let's ask for some testimonials, online reviews, um, things like that, and then how do we engage them slowly to become more case study referrals, champions, you know, things like that, and then how do we move them into the promote stage, which is now they're presenting at conferences and writing blogs that take way more effort on their behalf. And again, I think MPS, I, there's a whole thing on the book about you know how it's used incorrectly. I think it is an advocacy metric. It helps you identify where there's problems, and it helps you identify where there's opportunities that you can capitalize on. Nothing else, and so. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I've learned in my experience anyway. So,
1: yeah, I love that example about clear. Um, I'll give you a quick example too. Like we, when we first started gain, Grow, retain, smaller scale, but we first started gain, Grow, retain, uh, we were running our office hours calls every Thursday, right? We started with 20 people on the first one, went to 40, went to 80, went to 160. Um, literally like within the matter of weeks we had, I forget, I think it was 1600 people on this email list. And, and one of the things that we would do in the first probably eight weeks that we started was, we would send an nps survey after every um after every session and um and so what we wanted to do was make sure that people knew we heard them that we were responding to it we were trying to adapt so we were we asked nps and just said hey you know what would you rate this session but then what we were doing was we were also asking questions like did you appreciate the how was the facilitator today how was the topic that we talked about do you want to go into breakout rooms if we did how do, how would we do that and then as we started adapting and changing each week we would essentially change the format because we were responding in real time. But before we would, you know, from week to week, what we would do is also come in the first five minutes of, so from week one to week two and week two, the first five minutes, we would say, Hey, here's what you all responded with from week one. And here's how we're going to address it in today's session. Here are the changes that we've already made that you're going to experience. We're going to ask you again. And then week three, we're going to do the same thing. So for eight weeks, we did that. And I think, our response rate on that was like seventy-five or eighty percent of, of people who wow. came to the meeting, you know, responded to it. And I think yep. it's because a, I wrote it in a really personal way when I sent out the actual email to ask them for uh, feedback. But I think similar to your point, like I think the fact that we walked into the meeting and owned owned the responses and the metrics and said, "Here's how we're going to adapt the meeting and the changes that we're going to make," I also think really propelled us in that way, uh, especially because we were talking to a bunch of customer success leaders, right? And we were asking them this question. So I think if we didn't present this, they'd go in a mutiny, uh, knowing <laughs> yeah. you know, this is typically what would happen.
0: Absolutely. Um, I love that you mentioned you wrote that personalized email, uh, personalized note, because like I was raised by my grandparents um, and, you know, big on note, right? So whenever you get a present for your birthday, you had to write a card, like you write notes at Christmas time, birthdays and stuff. So we're always writing handwritten notes. And I, I still do that today. Like when I have an event and offsite, I'll always do handwritten cards and stuff um, because I feel like that's because it's genuine. It's easy to write an email and just blast it out to an email list, but to sit down, take the time to write a note and put something personal. It, after customer success is about people, and I know that's funny when you talk about well, what about tech touch? That's not about people. I'm like, absolutely, it's about people. You're using technology, but it's still about people. You, who are you sending the, the electronic you know information to? To a person. So yeah. absolutely, it's about people. Um, and so I, I really feel like we, we, we've kind of, as customer success leaders, when you map out the customer journey, one of the things that we talk, I talk about in the book is there's a great example where I've dealt with a company where when it comes to renew my subscription, I don't get a generic, you know, hey, just letting you know three weeks from now, we're going to renew your subscription on this credit card, make sure the details are correct, you know, if you need any more, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I get that from every company I work with, in B2B, B2C, it doesn't matter, right? This particular company, they send a a note that says, hey, coming up for renewal, and there's like a gif of the person, and there's streamers and confetti, and they're like, we're so excited to have you here. This is really cool, you know, and and I'm just – I'm getting excited about the renewal. Even if I don't want to renew, I just want to renew because I get excited about – they're excited, and and I know it's generic. I know it goes to everyone, but they've put effort into just making that experience more fun and personalized, and that's a renewal. Like, so think of your organization sending out renewal. You have a renewals team that sends out a, an email or say, hey, renewal's coming up in three months, 90 days, whatever it is. Have a think about what you write in that note. Have a think about how corporate and generic it sounds versus a personable kind of like we're excited to partner with you. You're part of our family. We, we can't wait to extend our relationship. And that. That's one simple example of how customer success can look at a company and say, are we really customer centric? Are we really thinking about the customer? Are we just operationalizing for profitability, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but you can do both. It just takes some effort and thought. And that's what our job is, I think, is to make sure we're doing that and to call out those groups that are doing it to say that is awesome. Like that support experience. That is exactly what we're talking about when we talk about customer centric. And you'll highlight that as well. You got to do both. we the, with the parents, I guess, in the relationship in that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I'm I'm uh, trying to push right now. And and one of the things that I would love to do for our customers, right, they're building communities. And um, it's not necessarily their first moment of value, but one of the most, there's probably two memorable things that I think about when we started our community. One is the first time somebody actually posted, like in the community, that wasn't us, right? Like the first time that somebody asked a question or somebody did something, like that to me was a really big moment. And so I want to start memorializing that for our customers to say, hey, we know that it took a lot of effort just for you to get your first member into this community, right? Think about all the stuff that we had to work on. We had to stand up the community. We had to you had to get all the approvals internally, everything that happened, right? I want to memorialize <laughs> this moment for you because it's like, look at this, like you did it. And like, we're here, we did it together. But like, how cool would it be if we sent a handwritten note to every customer that you know went to that moment? And the second moment is like your first year renewal, but like you're, for, you know, it's like, you, this is, Hey, this is your birthday essentially for your community. You've got this thing for a year. Let's look at all the growth. Let's look at all the things that you've done. Let's look at all the conversations you've sparked that kind of thing. But like those two moments in my mind stand out right now is like, how could we take personal notes and go do those to those two things? Cause I think that yeah. would be a nice personal touch to say, look at that. Like HireLogic knew that somebody wrote in my community and like, they're sending me a personalized note about it. And it's from my CSM or it's from, you know, somebody in the company and they, they knew the date we launched, they know the year, you know, renewal, but like, it's just, again, like, I think like you mentioned, like those little things go a long way and they take a, a small amount of effort if you can do them. And you can find, I mean, there's plenty of companies now that do some of these things at scale, right? Like there is a company I've, I've seen it recently that will write handwritten notes on your behalf. I mean, I think that's yeah. a little, it's you know, it's, you can do it, but it's also taking away a little bit of the personal aspect, but Hey, you can, right. if people say you can't scale that you can, right. There's, there's companies that do it. There's um, yep. like Sendozo and some other ones that do gift sending on your behalf or Alice, which is like gifting um, for those things and doing it at scale. So I think there are ways that you can subtly pull these things in, like you said, and make them part of your technology strategy that still help you scale, but still achieve some level of that personalization. So that the customer feels like, Hey, they actually know this. They're not just you know, they're not just throwing me to the
0: wolves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get my little Chick-fil-A email at the end of the year. It says, Hey, the number one thing you purchased this year was chicken nuggets. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Is that you or your kids? (laughs) I don't eat any chicken nuggets by the way, but yes, absolutely. It's uh, my kids. Yeah. yeah, No, but I'm like, I, I talk about customer delight in the book and I say, we got it all wrong. Like customer delight. People are like, You know what is—is it sending out swag and these cards and stuff? And I'm like, that's number eleven of all the things you should do for customer delight. You know, and um, because you know, I I remember one time I was talking about, oh, we did this great thing. We 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 launched. uh, It was a new mobile app we built for a company, and so we we built a cake for them in the shape of an iPhone, and it had their logo and their app picture on it, and it had little icons down the bottom like ours and you know other things they cared about, and. Um and it was cool, right? And we was shared on social media and everyone thought it was great. And every time we launched a mobile app for a company, we would do this special cake anywhere around the world that was their app on a cake. And it was, it was a great moment. And then um, I remember one of the executives I was working with said, you know, you do realize there's a Harvard Business Review that says, you know, doing stuff like that does not create loyalty, does not ensure retention, does not. And I said, oh, I'm not doing it for loyalty or retention, you know, I'm, I'm doing it because I want to celebrate success with the customer. No yeah. other reason. Like, it is not about. and so people start to, you know, they see these things, they're like, oh, that we've got to do that. That'll help with retention. It'll help with – no, it doesn't. It just celebrates a moment with a customer. It's a point in time. Why can't we have that with our customer? It doesn't have to be everything about, you know, the, getting the renewal and expanding. It's just about recognizing the efforts from our team and their team together to achieve something. So I think you're right. I think celebrating success – a critical aspect of what we need to be doing because there's plenty of things that are escalated and red flagged and and there's plenty of those problems to deal with. Um, as, as I say in the book, I'm like, I remember watching the Olympics and there was this guy from Haiti was in a hurdler and, and it was amazing. He was there. And i was so excited. He's in the quarterfinal and it's go and he runs and he hits the first, hurdle, he falls over and he comes last and he doesn't qualify for the, you know, and I'm like, and in my book, I'm like, I hope you weren't expecting a good feel-good story or a great ending on this one. I'm like, welcome to customer success, right? It's not, even though it's customer success, it sounds successful, it sounds glamorous, but actually, it's very tough. And so, when we find success, we need to celebrate it for sure. I love that. Yeah, it's like, uh,
1: it's like the the quote where it says, you know, happiness is a choice. Like you, have, you know, like you choose to be happy. You have that mindset. Like similar thing. Like I think. Just like you yep. said, like when you can recognize those moments, like that's a choice for you to, to sit there and say, "Hey, we need to recognize this because there was a ton of effort to get us here in the first place." Uh, I love that. Well, I know yep. we've only got a couple minutes left, but I wanted to maybe ask. Like, sounds like you had a ton of conversations. You did a, you know, a fair bit of your own research and kind of brought in your own stories. But like, what's uh, kind of cliche question alert coming towards you? But like, what's one of the things that you kind of walked uh, walked away with, maybe from some of those conversations where you're kind of like, "Wow, I really." Um, not that it changed your mind or anything, but maybe it was just kind of like, wow, that was like such an impactful conversation with some of the people that you um, were interacting with for the book.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think there's many. I mean, the first one I mentioned earlier was just just reading that quote from Disney, which is, you know, no one owns the customer, someone owns the moment, completely reframed how I had conversations with other people around me. Um, but then talking to a lot of the um sort of people I've learned from and, and peers in the in the industry. You mentioned Christy earlier, like she's a great blurb in the book for me, which is awesome. Uh, Jay, um, who can't be with us today, but, you know, he, he's actually contributed thought leadership piece. I tried to bring in other experts and peers and people that I'd learned from into the book. And in some cases, what they're saying might not necessarily agree with me 100%. And that was deliberate because I'm like, this is an example of the framework's the same, but how you do it is different. Yeah. And don't be afraid to personalize what you're doing. And so I say it this way, like I'm giving you the plans to build a house, but you get to decide what carpet, you know, what TVs, how we're going to paint the walls. You get to do all that, but the framework's critical. But I think, you know, from talking to a lot of other people, it's, it's like the Avengers. Like, like each person I talk to, they have these amazing insights, like how to go execute, you know, triggers and playbooks and using data analytics and automation and scale and health plan um, and voice of the customer, QBRs, risk frameworks. Like everyone has these great um sort of e- experience and, and knowledge on how to go do something in, in, in the world that they've lived in. And to me, they're like individual superheroes and until you bring them all together and create the Avengers like, how are you going to defeat Churn? I don't know, it sounds very cliche, but like, how do you bring all this? How do you bring all these golden nuggets together? And I tried to do that in the book, which was, you know, bring it all together inside the framework. So the framework can be used by anyone. You can tailor it and customize it any way you want. But these nuggets you pick up in the community when you post a question and you get five answers and you're like, they're all amazing. And like, look at your framework and say, okay, where would I put it and how would it work? And it just will help you navigate all the great insights you'll get in putting it into a way you can apply it in a consistent, scalable way.
1: Man, I like that. Yeah, I love the idea of the framework, too, because I um, I think it's going to resonate a lot with, with uh, my experience from consulting, you know, just the the fact that you've kind of got to bring this with you, right? Uh, the example of it's a house, you get to decorate the inside is a really good one. Um, I also really appreciate the, uh, the hurdler and uh, how that can be, you know, I was, I was immediately thinking about how that could be like a lagging you know, a customer that was lagging on their implementation or time to value, or, you know, like there's all these things that come out, but, um, but Wayne, this has been, this has been fun. I feel like we could probably talk for uh, a litany of hours around this kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, if people want to find more uh, about you, about the book, um, like what's the, what are some of the key things coming up? This is your, your time to shine.
0: Yeah, so um, so I have a website uh, that's set up for the book. So it's um, cspillars.com, real simple, www.cspillars.com, customer Success Pillars. Um, it has more information about the book um, and other stuff that you can learn. Um, there's, there's templates and stuff in the book. The website you can go to and download all the templates. So if you're like, oh, I really like this, I'd like to use it, you can actually – you don't have to recreate it. You can just download it. Uh, So that's the best place to go. Um, It links off to other areas too. Um, So there's one company, for example, have used the seven pillars to redefine their custom success organization. They've rolled it out across 60 countries. They have CSMs in 60 countries. It's a huge deployment. They've had tremendous success. Um, So obviously uh, being asked to go create some training around the seven pillars um, wasn't the goal of the book. But if people want to delve in a little bit more, you can do that off the website too. Um, and then ultimately, you know, just ping me, I'm on the GGR community, uh, try to be as active as I can. I can be more active now the book's finished and it's off to the printer. So now I can get back to the, the, the GGR community. But again, I'm more than happy to connect with people that just want to share their experience or learn more. Um, and just send me a note, um, more than happy to get engaged.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, we're going to time this up. So hopefully this episode comes out right around the the book launch and, um, uh, we'll be excited for you. We'll be, we'll be, uh, celebrating some of those moments with you and, you know, we'll have, uh, uh, a moment of celebration as you get that out the door because three, three years is a labor of love for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's, there's people from the community in it. And I just want to thank everyone who contributes who ask questions, who's willing to learn is be vulnerable and those people that give up their time to give their, you know, experiences. It's really unique to our industry. It doesn't happen as much in other communities. So I just want to say thank you to everyone for just being part of this movement and helping to grow out this profession um, in the future. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Ditto. I will ditto that. There's a lot of people in our community that give a lot of time and energy. So, um, yeah. I will do that. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to Thank do you. this again soon. Thanks, Wayne. All right, man. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the gain, grow, retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.